on 98FM and online. This is Phoenix FM. Job Dean Cox again, this time he's in! At the second time of asking, Dean Cox takes Leighton Orient a step closer to Wembley. Carroll. Jonathan Tahue. Capable of anything. Tahue! Equaliser for Leighton Orient! We're not a city, we're not a town. We're the only one of us around And you know where we can be found When Saturday comes again We'll be trying to do our best To cheer all those on who wear the rest Whatever challenge, whatever test We're late and Orient from E10 Late and Orient from E10 Okay, good morning everybody, good morning, oh my god, that's so that tired I am, what a start to the show, thanks Andy for passing over to me, I'm going to blame you for that, for calling me the wrong name, anyway, welcome to the Orient Hour everybody, it isn't the morning, it is in fact 7pm 7, 7 at night, and I'm joined on the panel tonight by Gary Platt, starts off with, Gary, how are you? Well, it's Gareth, it's carry on the wrong name. <laughs> there you go, what a start, oh, Gareth, sorry, go on. It's a, it's a brand new panel tonight, so I'm still getting used to the names. So if I call you Gary throughout the rest of the evening, just say yeah. Um, Gareth, how are you? Sorry, try again. I'm all, I'm all good, and you can call me whatever you want. I've heard it all. So, yeah. Fantastic, okay. And uh, Tony Smith, Tony, how are you? I'm not too bad. A little starstruck with a man on my right, but other than that, I'm sure I'll get used to it in a minute. Lovely. T- Tony, have I got your name right? Yeah. Wonderful. Smith of a Y, just and like a good lot here, There we go. And joined by the Orient legend that is, ooh, Terry Howard. Terry Howard. How are you? I'm alright, it's Terence actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be one of them nights tonight, and I can feel it in my bones. Alright, okay, so uh, what we're going to do is this. We're going to start off with a quick announcement from the Supporters Club, just to let you all know that the Supporters Club Ale Night is going ahead tomorrow night, despite the planned tube strikes. Uh, it's 4 till 10pm, and it's celebrating uh, us winning the Pigs Pig's Ear Camera Club of the Year, Greater London Club of the Year, and being nominated for National Club of the Year. So everybody is welcome. So get down to the Supporters Club and uh, go and have a good time, go and have a few beers. Uh, and I understand the lager, the beers are going to be quite cheap down there tomorrow. So uh, if you fancy a little midweek pint, that's the place to be. So, Terry, many a happy hour spent in the Supporters Club, yeah? Yeah, um, clubs in general with alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you say it's going to be a cheaper pint. Was it about ten pound a pint? That is that cheaper? <laughs> uh, from what I can see on the picture, it says from three pound fifty a pint. So, wow! Uh, I think I we mean, should all get down. <laughs> yeah, no, after the week I've had, mate. Honestly, I will be down there. I reckon so. All right, let's dive in then. We've got two games to talk about. We've obviously got some big news that Richie Wellens gave us last night. Although obviously not been announced officially, but um, great news to hear. And we'll preview the Harrogate game as well. So, uh, we start off with the crew game then. So, the first round of the FA Cup uh, lineups for Leighton Orient were a uh, 4-4-2 and what looked like a diamond formation when, uh, when the team sheet was announced. So, you had Vigor in goal with uh, James, Beckles, Ogie and Hunt at the back. Clay, Brown, Moncur 
with Satirio, Duke McKenna and Charlie Kelman. Uh, so Shavrak Ogi given a start, Brown, Clay and Duke McKenna all given some minutes. Uh, gents, what do we all think of the starting lineup? Gareth, I'll come to you first. Well, I think it was fairly obvious that it was going to change the squad. I mean, I think he made that clear in interviews, but then kind of almost went back on it by suggesting he wasn't going to change it as much as he hinted he was. But I think it was kind of frustrating, though, wasn't it? Because even though it was a much-changed squad, the performance probably merited better and, and more perhaps perhaps we should have progressed um, I saw the goals I'm still flabbergasted how they were not awarded um, some interesting refereeing decisions not least the red card um, so it's one of those I think obviously we'll talk about last night's game a bit later on but from this point from that point of view of that the gamble was okay it's only the FA Cup we're not going to get that far in it so the gamble is concentrate on the league but that didn't quite pan out as we hoped did it <laughs> I mean do we think it was a gamble in so much that when you look at the players that were brought in or see Shadrach Ogi had a great season last season uh, you know he, he's not someone who we know what he can do uh, you know Jordan Brown whilst he's a young player again he's played particularly well this season and when he's been called upon he's been you know an able deputy Craig Clay we know what Craig Clay can do he's Mr Dependable um, so the only one the only really unknown would be uh, Stephen Duke McKenna so um, um, coming across to you Tony what do you think uh, of the starting lineup and sort of uh, how they ended up performing starting line that didn't surprise me I thought it was about the level it would be I, I thought I thought the Vicks was going to stay in goal I thought they were going to give Shad a game and I thought Shad, Shad was my man of the match to be honest I thought he was tremendous there was there was one moment about after about 10 minutes when he was running for a ball and the other fella didn't bother chasing after him because he knew he had him for pace. He gives you something at, at the back there and obviously he's not in the team at the moment simply because he was suspended for the first game of the season and your man Dan Appy's done so well so he hasn't got back in but that wasn't weakening the team. They played well, we all enjoyed it. I went up there on the coach and obviously Craig was a bit unlucky there at the end. I mean, the last time I was... I was laughing because I, I was sitting not too far from Howard Gould in the, in, in the stand and we came out together and I said, it's funny how whenever, whenever I go on the radio, I'm talking about someone getting sent off just in front of me. And it was so similar to the tackle in the Northampton game, obviously went our way, that you had to say, well, maybe the rules are wrong if they're both getting a red for that. But I suppose that's consistency for you one way or another. But. Yeah, uh, Terry, have you seen the red? Have you seen the Clay's tackle that got in the red card? I mean, what did you make of it? Yeah, I, I think he's a bit unlucky. I, obviously, I come from another time, and uh, as the old saying goes, you get a three-year contract for that tackle back in the old days. But I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was particularly bad in the current rules they seem to look upon it very different I think it's very frustrating I, I think he's made a genuine attempt for the ball he's slightly late it's a foul it's a yellow it's a yellow at worst or best or whatever you look at it you know for me it's, it's a tough decision yeah I mean I looked at it and obviously it's a poor first touch in the first instance you know he's tried to hold the ball up he's had a poor first touch and whilst he is off his feet it wasn't two-footed he didn't go in to me he didn't go in with a stamping motion with his studs down he's almost gone in side like tried to go in with the, the it almost looked like he was tackling him with the back of his calf. He's, 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 so I mean, the thing know. is, when they talk about endangering an opponent, you're talking you know, above the ankle area. For me, yeah. if you look above the ankle area, you know, to me, it looks like it looked like he's you know in, in, in the foot foot area, which to me isn't endangering someone. If we're going to call that endangering an opponent, then every tackle's endangering an opponent, yeah. isn't it? You know, and as I say, I, I find the, the current rules need looking at. Most of them come. I think what referees don't understand is. Most of these sendings off come from a bad first touch. And they've got to recognise that your natural instinct is to try and win the ball. To chase it. Yes. And if they feel that they're making a genuine attempt to, uh, to make a challenge for the ball, it's not around the knee, it's not around the high shin, 
then to me, they've got to look upon that and say, that's a yellow, you know, nothing more than that. I mean, what frustrates me is the inconsistency. I mean, when you look at that tackle from Clay last on, on Saturday, sorry, that was a better tackle than the one that Paul Smith got done with last night. Um, and the, the geese got a yellow for the Paul Smith one, but that should have been a red. You know, that was a far worse challenge than, than, than the challenge Clay uh, put in to me. Tony, go on. Well, I was down the far end last night, so I didn't get a great view of the Paul Smith tack on. I didn't see it in the highlights, but I can, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I've mm. only got a great view there. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's, let's just talk about some other players. And obviously, we can bemoan our bad luck and what have you and stuff like that. Obviously, uh, Gareth, you mentioned the Charlie Kilman goal earlier on. Again, you know, from where I was, it seemed as though it was a legitimate goal. The keeper's fumbled it. It's gone out to Charlie Kelman. Whilst the keeper's got a hand on it, to me, he hasn't got full control of the ball, and Kelman had every right to go for it. Yeah, so it's exactly what I thought about it. See, it seemed to be a genuine goal. Uh, I couldn't see how you'd rule that out. We don't want to talk about VAR because I absolutely despise it. But it's those sort of issues that VAR should be clearing up. Uh, but the inconsistency is the most infuriating thing at this level, isn't it? It's because it's, it's, it's what we've just been talking about, what Terry was talking about. Some tackles are kind of waved away, which look dangerous. Some ones which, which look really fur are kind of brought up, pulled up, yellow car comes out, red car comes out, etc. So, so it's, I think the thing that annoys fans is if you can see that it's a genuine error, yeah, and it's, it's not kind of, it's not, as clear-cut as perhaps the Kelman issue was, then we can perhaps live with that. We can debate it afterwards. We can talk about it with, with different people, etc. But it's when it's so obviously wrong that that's the problem. And I don't know what you do about it. As I said, I don't want to have endless reviews to make the decision that the ref made in the first place. But at the same time, what you want is you want consistency of decisions that people can accept. OK, it went against us, but it was the wrong decision. But I don't think we're getting that at the moment. I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about last night again, but the referee last night, <laughs> absolute definition of inconsistency, I would say. So. Yeah, I mean, see, I have a thing. Obviously, we're not going to go into VAR in, in great mm. detail. We don't have to worry about it in our league. But one thing I will say about VAR is VAR is not the problem. VAR is the system. The problem is that the people running the system are useless and they're inconsistent and they don't, they've never played the game and so therefore that's what causes the massive issue. Um, you know, you've got a lino there who clearly he, he, he either can't see and he's made a guess because Kelman's got his back to the line. So he's in front of where the ball, he's in front of the, where the ball, between the linesman and the ball. So the linesman's making a guess that the goalkeeper's got it under control, both hands on it. And the referee who, to my mind, has a better view because he's in field, is going with a decision the linesman's made um, because he doesn't want to overrule his mate. Yeah, but I think it's more acceptable to, to give the goal in that particular situation and then admit that perhaps he was unsighted and if something was picked up that perhaps it shouldn't be allowed, that's what we're saying, that's what we can live with. It's the guessing and we will never know whether the linesman guessed. That was my instinct and it seems like we're, we're sharing the same opinion here. It's like, oh, I don't know, that didn't seem right. Oh, I'll put my flag up and I'll disallow it. Yeah, so. It's one of those things because in every other sport, you know, the attacker would get the guess the advantage. In every other sport, literally the attacker gets the advantage except in football and it feels, it, sometimes it feels as though goal and um, referees sorry are looking for reasons to disallow a goal rather than looking for reasons to give a goal um, and obviously we'll come to last night's as well because again that's another thing where it looked as though they're looking for reasons to disallow it rather than reasons to give it so all right so um just a quick thing uh, let's talk about uh, george moncur obviously he um he hit the, he hit the bar on uh, on saturday in the 33rd minute and he was um, very unlucky i mean 
How many times has that man hit the hit the woodwork this season? I mean, uh, uh, Tony, you got any stats from me there? Like, <laughs> no, I didn't look up that one, but that would have been the worldie of all time if that yeah. gone on, wouldn't it? I mean, everything else of the season would have been out out the window, even you know, James in the first game if that had gone in. And, uh, it looked like from where I was in the stand, it came out from the underside of the bar. That's yeah. the strange thing about it is that you almost where the ball hit the ball, you'd expect it had gone in sort of down by the far corner somewhere, but. Um, no, I'm a big George Monker fan and I'd always have him in there, but I can understand why he didn't play last night. But I hope he's there Saturday. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, Terry, what do you make of George Monker and how he's been this season? Yeah, he's been a very good addition. I mean, it's well documented he's come from a high division. Um, and you can see he's got that quality in the team. And I, th- I think he will be, I think Tony said, like, he wants him to, I think he'll be playing Saturday. I, I think listening to what the manager said last night was a, a kind of a precaution th- a precautionary thing he's had a few issues I think with his team yeah, yeah he's had a tooth out yeah, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous <laughs> yeah. doesn't it but, but, uh, yeah, I can imagine I, I would imagine it's a bit more complex yeah. than just a toothache but if that, yeah you should, they should make something yeah, yeah. don't say it's just toothache <laughs> just say that like, I've got some sort of ligament yeah, yeah, injury or because it does sound a bit weak doesn't it but um, yeah he, obviously he brings that little bit of quality and, and listen that's the reason we are where we are because we've brought a little bit more quality in and he's one of several players that's added to a decent squad um, our first 11 there is a lot stronger than it was last season and he is one of the reasons for that um, Gareth what do you make of uh, Stephen Jude McKenna um, see, we haven't seen a lot of him so far this season but the flashes that we have seen I think he looks a quality player and I'm surprised he hasn't got more minutes I, th- I think that's a very fair assessment I, I think the first time I saw him properly was was in the pizza pizza trophy game um, a couple of weeks back um, and he, he played kind of wide on the left and you could just see that every time the ball came to him the touch was lively it was incisive it was clever he looked like he was making space for you know an option etc so I think there's definitely a player there I think perhaps the problem that's missing because he's come down from an academy at a higher level I think what we need to do is toughen him up a little bit uh, it was very interesting in last night's game George Marsh came on didn't he and he, he, he suffered he suffered with us he ended up playing his virtually emergency right back for quite a period of time and you could see the impact that's had on his development so I think that's what McKenna's about I think the worry is that he's a bit fresh for this so perhaps he's not that kind of steely player that we'd hope he might be and not perhaps need him in the side somebody like Archibald perhaps but at the same time, there's definite talent there, and the only way you're going to toughen him up is by continuing to play him. So I think he's got the manager's trust. I think going forward, from his first few appearances, he seems to now be a more regular uh, sub, a more regular replacement, more regularly featuring inside. So I'd be interested to see how he develops. Uh, I think he's a very exciting-looking player. So. Siri, just on that with regards to the development of the physicality and stuff like that, can you only get that via planning games, or can you get that via training with the first team and stuff like that? No, that that comes through games. It, it, um, I, I think um, first team games, obviously, you get experience, but it's it's such a you can play. Going back to when I was younger, I, I played many many reserve games at Chelsea. It's nothing like when you go into any first team. Well, obviously, I was lucky enough to play at the, in the old first division, um, and when, even when I dropped down to uh, the third and fourth tier. First team football is so different at every level compared to any sort of reserve youth team. And the only way that you learn to deal with it, the physicality, is through playing. You know, you don't, I mean, you don't get that sort of physicality in reserve football. I mean, you can get games that are a little bit dirty or whatever, but it's not the same as having, you know, like a couple of hardened old northern centre halves, you know. They don't kick like they used to, but there's still, still a lot of strong boys out there. It's still a strong physical game. Only comes with playing at that level. 
And it's interesting because I don't know whether, uh, I don't know how many of you read the um, article that Richie Wellens uh, wrote the other day. And um, he kind of said exactly that, didn't he? Where, you know, when he was a youth team player, he was he was the best at his, his level. He was, he was playing in the England youth setup and what have you and stuff. And then all of a sudden he got into the Man United first team and he couldn't hack the pace because he didn't look after himself. Mm. He didn't he didn't have that physicality. Um, and obviously he knew he'd let himself down. Um, obviously there was other issues with regards to off the field stuff. But, you know, he said that he then went and played in the championship and was still took his time to find his feet ended up going and playing in division four first of all with, with Blackpool he knew he was too good for that level technically but physically he, he 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 wasn't there and he had to work on his game and he had to improve his fitness and stuff like that and so do you think his own experiences will be good for someone like Duke McKenna and for the for the younger players that we've got coming through you know again the, the likes of, of Shabrak and Sweeney and people like that do you think that those own experiences um, will be good for him Tony what do you think? Yeah, it was in the Telegraph, wasn't it? That um, that article. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, the uh, newspapers are available. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really a Telegraph man. You mates will tell me. Um, I think. Yeah, I mean, you, you just look back at your own time and whatever you did. It's it, it jumps from schoolboys to under 18s to adults to veterans. You know, even that. And I've not I've not got to walking football yet, but I'm sure that'll have its own um, challenges. But. Yeah, it's step by step, isn't it? I think you're quite, I think Terry's quite right on that one. So, just some stats from uh, the other night's game. We bear in mind we were sorry from Saturday's game. Um, bear in mind we were away. We had sixty-one percent possession, uh, seven corners, ten shots, four on target. I mean. That's unheard of, really. For an Orient team to have 61% possession away is absolutely unheard of. Um, Terry, what do you think that, that tells us about the way Richie's playing and, and the way that he's got the team playing at the moment? I think we've got most things right other than putting the ball in the net. I think that's the issue. I, I think what we're lacking is a fox in the box, a, a poacher, whatever you want to call it. That's what's missing from our game. We're, we're top of the league and we haven't got forwards who are scoring on a regular basis. I think if you look at most of the teams below us, We've scored as many goals as them, but, but as they said, they've got a centre forward who's scoring their goals. That, that's what's missing from our team. Um, if we can address that, and we've got players there that are, are good players, but for whatever reason, we're not... To, I mean, I think Tuesday kind of followed Saturday in pattern. A lot of possession, not really an end... Pro, not good enough end product. We could have comfortably won both them games and we've come away with a cup defeat and a league defeat. And I think that's what... Richie's not silly, he knows... That's what we need to address. I mean, if January, I say we don't. We've got a lot of forwards there. It's just whether we can turn one of them into into someone who's going to stick the ball in the back of the net. Looking at the forwards we've got, obviously, you know, we've got uh, Aaron Trinan, we've got uh, uh, Dan Kelman, we've also got um, Jaden Wareham as well. Uh, coming back in January, we'll have Harry Smith. Obviously, he's training with the club at the moment. Of the of the four of them, I'm not including Paul Smith Smith in this because obviously I see him more as a wide player or a number ten. He's not an out and out forward. Do you think any of them actually have the potential to be that fox in a box? Well, I think last year when you look, um, Rule Sotiru, he actually had a spell. Sorry, I forgot Rule Sotiru. Yeah, Sotiru. Yeah. I mean, he, he was that man for a while. You know, he was scoring on a regular basis. We know he knows where the back of the net is. It's dried up a little bit for him. It's been a bit more difficult for him this season. Um, what, what I would suggest is that might happen from January onwards is that when we're playing, we haven't got an alternative. And Harry Smith might be that alternative yeah. to give us something different that might that might change that you know I mean, we're, if, for, for the want of a better we're a little bit samey at the moment we're playing lots of good stuff we're around the possession he says good and all that 
it's just that ball into the box and, and, and Richie might have to change it when he comes on which is we've got players who can get a ball in the box and, and actually play him like he should be played but I think that you know that might help just having an alternative as opposed to we're setting up this kind of the same way there doesn't seem to be much change in our formation during the game personnel might change but it doesn't seem to change that might give us another outlet do you know, I think that Theo Archibald and Paul Smith will thrive with Harry with, with Harry Smith in the middle. With, with someone, you know, I mean, you, Theo whipping them crosses across the box and Harry Smith attacking them. Well, to me personally, I think, you know, I'm surprised we let him go online. Yeah, well, I mean, you go back to when he first came to the club and I, I watched two goals at Newport he scored with his head, wasn't it? Yeah. And and that's the service. You give him that service and we've got players who, we've got players that are, are, are better than this division in them areas to get the ball into, you know, and that's what, that's what he'll thrive on. Um, and as I say, I'm sure Richie's well aware of that. I know that's probably not his favoured way of playing, but you've got to have alternatives. Um, and as I say, he's a great alternative to have if he comes back fit and well and hopefully he's over you know, his, his issues that he's got at the moment. And as I say, I'll repeat what I say, it'll be a, a, a very good outlet for us to change a game if things aren't going right, which we haven't had lately. Gareth, going back to uh, what Terry said about rules and Terry, do you think that one of Rule's biggest problems at the moment is the fact that I'm not convinced that any of us, including him, including Richie, know where Rule's best position is? We, you know, he's played from the left, he's played from the right, and he's played down the middle, and I'm not convinced that he's he's shone in any of them. To me, I think he's played his best football when he's been coming in from the left hand side. And obviously, right now you've got Paul Smith playing out there, and you're not gonna you're not gonna shift him from that position. I think that's the dilemma, isn't it? That that's the situation. I mean, he's he's been playing at number ten now as well, and um, it's it's an interesting contrast because if you look at Moncur, who is absolutely the the embodiment of what a number ten looks like at this level, the chalk and cheese. And I think it's a confidence thing. I think he can play number nine. He can play through the middle, but but he's had a spell where he's not getting the goal, so perhaps that knocks his confidence. I think a lot of the stick he gets is about how long he holds onto the ball. And uh, it was interesting, we are talking about this uh, back at home yesterday, and it's almost like Richie's trying to develop him to look up, to not always go for goal, to not think you can do it all yourself, and to not think you have to do it all yourself, and to try and play as more of a team player and to become more of a real number 10. But I think that's absolutely right. I don't think anybody knows, self-included, what his best position is. I think it's interesting, when he's playing well, he doesn't hold the ball. Mm. He, he, he sees things, he, he knocks that ball and he goes. You know, he gives and goes and he moves that ball very, very quickly. When he's a bit short of confidence, that's when he tends to hold onto the ball that little bit too long and look for that perfect pass mm. or try and beat the man too often. Uh, Tony? I just really, I want to go back to what you were saying about finishing. I mean, I watched, funny enough, they did the warm-up right in front of me where I was sitting in the stand last night and you, you could compare and contrast all the finishers. And the guy who's finishing was unbelievable out of all of them was Paul Smith. Yeah. I mean, he's, in terms of putting the ball in the net, he's different class. So whether you, despite you look at his size and think, well, it's the fourth division or whatever, I think you have got to consider just playing him up front and playing the team around him. I mean, he's that good at putting the ball in the net that in a way he's a little bit wasted playing that wide because he's, he, was, he just didn't miss once. On him, so, you know, he might have hit the post once. Yes, it's interesting because I think that if we do play him as a centre forward, you then miss his all-round play everywhere else. Yeah, it's he that did, dilemma. He, they did it in the pre-season friendly, and he scored. I remember. I think it was that one that we lost about three or four two in the end. Whoever they were playing, it was one. It was one night, and but they they have played him there, and it has worked. So I think it's it's a change that we can make up during the game, particularly even if we don't necessarily do it from the start. But. Yeah, Terry, what do you what would you reckon? Would you play Smith up front, or would you play him? Where, where, where would you play him? 
Well, as Tony just said, I, I think it's an in- interesting thing that you can you can change that during a game. We've got personnel not as good as him in that position, but we've got who are very decent. And it might be an idea, as I say, once again, if we're, we're behind chasing a game like we were last night, to just tinker with it a little bit and put him up front. Because as I say, that, I think we said it again, that finishing is what's, if you're going to criticise for anything this season, our defence has been good, score goals in midfield, created stuff, but, but it's that last piece of the jigsaw is put, scoring more goals. And I know we've scored some, I think we're right up there as the top scorers in the league. Certainly got the best goal difference, yeah. Yeah, but that just shows us an area, an area of improvement, which is good really, because we, we, we're sort of nitpicking a little bit. But that's what, you, you know, if we're going to stay up there, that's what's got to change. How do we feel about being out of the FA Cup? Um, I mean, I've written down here, obviously, a positive is not as many games. Uh, so it means that we obviously get a chance to rest players and things like that. Um, negatives would be not as much money to invest in January. Um, it stops the momentum. And obviously, I've, I, it kind of almost feels like Saturday's defeat then led on to last night's defeat. Um, and obviously, it's a bit of a letdown for the fans in so much that, you know, everyone loves an FA Cup run. Every, everyone loves a good away day. Um, what do we think, gents? Uh, Gareth, I'm going to come over to you first. Uh, are you, how do you feel? Are you ambivalent about it? Are you are you happy we're out? How do you feel? Um, as a self-confessed football obsessive, I'm always upset when there's not a game. So so not having a run of games in the FA Cup, I think, is something that I'll miss. And it's you're right, the atmosphere, it's the going to different places, perhaps drawing a big team away and really enjoying the experience of it. That's what kind of the F- magic of the FA Cup is about, although it's much maligned these days and much diluted in terms of quality, etc. But I think the benefits, um, ignoring last night, Uh, to have more time, to be fresher, to do a bit more work on the training pitch. Having that free weekend in November uh, might actually be a benefit. Um, If we assume that last night was merely a blip and a bump in the road, then that's fine. But it should benefit us in the long run. But as a supporter, you want to see those games, do you? And you feel like you've lost out a little bit because we didn't lose because he changed the team. But that did have an impact. He also talked in the interview after that game, Richie, didn't he, about how we didn't quite, we'd been, we'd been playing at such an intensity being top of the league that we couldn't right recreate that at crew. And that was the problem. So perhaps not having that intensity is going to have a slight negative effect. And that maybe is what happened last night, yeah, uh, just, ultimately. Just took our foot off the gas, he said, yeah. then we just that 5% and that can make a difference. Tony? Well, I love the cup. I'm a, I'm, I'm a cup obsessive. You only got to hear the titles for the show. I mean, it's all cup matches, isn't it? You know, when they're playing the show every night at seven o'clock. Well, there's yeah, one playoff is, game, yeah. but the playoff game's a cup at the end of the league, isn't it? So uh, it's what memories are made of. And the league's great, but it's 46 games. And there were 30 left before last night's game. There's 29 left tomorrow. So it's not the end of the world by any means, although taking three points would have stuck us a long way clear. But I love the cup and I wish we'd gone further. and went all the way up the crew to see them. So that's um, practicing what you preach, I think, so... Terry, how does it feel from a player's perspective when you get knocked out in the first round? You know, does it damage you? Does it, does it damage the morale, or um, or are the players not bothered? They just get a weekend. They get an extra weekend off. No, the, uh, winning is a good habit, and I, I think when you're in cup games, I mean, I, the boys, the boys just said it there from a supporter's point of view. How excited and most of their f- best memories are from the cup. It's the same for players. When we played Forest at home, full house, twenty odd thousand at Brisbane Road. What a great day that was, you know. Um, although in the end we got beat two one, we put up a great fight for a while. Like we we're going to knock them out. That's what you play football. That's what you watch football for: moments and memories. And I understand all the. There are pros to going out early, as Gareth just uh, said. 
But for me, I'm kind of like with the boys here, as a player, an ex-player, I used to love playing in big cup games. That's what got you really excited. I mean, you know, that's what I look back in my career and obviously there's lots of memories from league games, but the cup ones are the ones that really stand out. Do you think then that the players maybe from Tuesday night had a bit of a, I wouldn't, hangover is the wrong word, but the, the disappointment of going out of the cup, do you think that maybe then impacted upon them and they showed their frustration last night? Because see, and last night, we'll come to last night now, obviously, you know, away to Wimbledon. Um, but it was a really tetchy, bad tempered, don't be wrong, the referee didn't help. Um, but do you think that part of that comes from their frustration at getting knocked out on Saturday? Possibly. Um, I mean, I, I can't speak for them players. I know that I'd be disappointed. Whether I carried it into the next game, I'm not too sure. But for whatever reason, you know, they got drawn into Wimbledon's way of playing last night, played right into their hands, and we'll come to it now. That's what they're going to have to learn. If you're top of the tree, everyone wants a piece of you, everyone wants to beat you, and they've got to learn that that's going to happen nearly every week now while we're up there. Richie Willens alluded to it when he spoke. And um, that's part of the learning process for the young players. You know, you've, it's, it's very difficult when you're in a game, and I've been in them games um, where you get drawn in, it gets niggly, and you're thinking, right, what, is that suiting them or us? It certainly suited Wimbledon last night, and um, something to learn going forward from. So, uh, so the starting lineups last night, we started with a 4 2 3 1 formation. Vigoru in goal, uh, James Beckles, Happy uh, Hunt at the back. So, uh, obviously, uh, Happy comes back into the side. Um, and with Prattley, El Mazzuni in the holding role, and Archibald, Smith, Satiru, and Drynan. Um, so, obviously, you know, we go back to a more tried and tested formation from last night. Go on, go on Tony. No, I was just going to say it was a team from the Salford game, wasn't it? Yeah, Which I think yeah, basically yeah. why it picked, it picked itself to a certain extent because of the way they played that day. But looking back from now, with hindsight, maybe you'd have done a couple of things a bit different. Well, it's interesting because my, my question was going to be, obviously, was anyone surprised to see uh, Royal Saturio starting? You know, would you think that... Obviously, Richie Wellens came out after the game and sort of said that George Moncar was kind of rested because he didn't. He had 60 minutes mm-hmm. on Saturday and stuff like that. Um, would you have started him? Well, you would have, you, you'd look at the players we've got available and you would say that George Moncur comes in our best 11 and you'd think you'd put him in and maybe we were always the one to miss out. It would have been hard on him. But that's the way you could see things looking at it. But he, went with a win. he didn't change a winning team, was the way he looked at it. That's where he went. Yeah, I suppose there is the old adage, isn't there? Yeah. Never change a never change a winning team. So, um, Gareth, obviously looking at the players we had on the bench, uh, you know, we had Duke McKenna on the bench, obviously Jaden Wareham, uh, Charlie Kelman, um, would you would you have um, changed? Would you have changed anything? We were in my living room yesterday because wow. yeah, I was screaming at the TV to make a change because uh, it was literally the, the thing. So, so sitting behind a settee. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How long was George Moncur warming up? I mean, I was yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it was probably as long as I was screaming at the telly to put him on. Yeah, but but ultimately, I think that was the problem. I think he wanted to trust Satirio. I think he wanted to show faith in Satirio in that number ten slot. Well, he did. He did well against Salford, and we were saying it was a good performance. Perhaps you don't change a winning team, but for me, we lack creativity in that number ten. I mean, I think my take from the match last night was simply first 20 minutes or so. We had lots of pressure 
without necessarily creating clear-cut chances. But if we could have taken one of them, it may have been a very different story. It's going back to this, it seems to be an ultimate recurring theme, doesn't it? That actually, we're not scoring enough goals. We're not putting the ball in the back of the net enough. And I think if we'd done that, and we're able to do that, and actually, I think we probably would have fashioned more if Moncur had been involved earlier, should we say. Maybe not necessarily starting, but so it struck me as 60, was it 65 minutes or just after 60 minutes was when yeah. the, the first subs were made and it was a bit late for me in there. And I think the game was, we, we were chasing we weren't, you know, we weren't established in it. We were falling, falling for what they were trying to do to us. And ultimately, I would have changed it earlier personally. But and equally, I was screaming for Kelman and or Wurham to come on and, and try and push us forward. Because while it was niggly, while it was attritional in the middle of the park, I think if we could have put them under pressure like we did in those first 20 minutes, I think we would, it would have been a different story all around. So. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because actually I thought the first 20 minutes, I thought we were really good. I thought it was going to be a cricket score. Obviously, the way we were playing, we came out of the traps real sharp and obviously we were absolutely all over them. Um, they scored from a breakaway, which, I mean, I know we were having this discussion on the WhatsApp group last night. I know that uh, Darren Burrows is not happy with Vigaru's uh, positioning for the first goal. I think it's harsh because it takes a lucky deflection and it was going in the other court. Vigor had no chance to my mind, but you know, it's a game of opinions and what have you. Um, then we got bogged down into what can only be described as their housery that they used, um, and we got sucked into their game, as, as someone mentioned. I think you, Terry, said it's the Wimbledon of old. Um, lots of niggly fouls, stupid fouls by us. Um, playing into their game, they slowed the game down, they stopped us getting into a rhythm. Um, and I've got to say, I don't care what anyone says, I love Harry Pell. Right, I think he's a tremendous player. I always liked him when he played for Colchester. He was always great against us. He was great against us again last night. He scored a fantastic goal. And then he absolutely bullied our midfield. He made Darren Prattley, who's a very experienced pro, look like a novice. You know, And to my mind, he was completely dominant. He pulled the strings for him. And that's the sort of player I would love to see in an Orient shirt. You know, that six foot five inch monster who's going to wind people up, who's going to go down easy, who's going to score a goal every now and then, he's going to win everything in the air. You know, we mentioned earlier on that we may be lacking out on our centre forward. I think we lack a dominant midfield player as well um, to play alongside El Mazzuni and A and other, whoever's playing in there. Um, and whilst I like Darren Prattley, I think he's a great professional, I think he's a good pro. I think that. Last night really showed his limitations now um, at the age that he's playing at. Um, Terry, what do you think? Am I being too harsh? No, when, when you're playing games like that, the first goal is so important because what that allows Wimbledon to do is all the things you just said. Yeah. If, they, if we get the first goal, they've got to get on with the game. They can't do all their little bits and pieces, falling on the floor, drawing fouls, getting involved, niggling away at us because they're chasing a the game. But unfortunately, we didn't get the first goal. They got two in quick succession. We're chasing our tail for the game. And, and we didn't go the right way about it. Um, we've, we've said a few times, we've got drawn into exactly what Wimbledon wanted us to do. The first goal, I know I know Darren, listen, he's, he's perfectly entitled to view. I think Viggs has got no chance with that. His body, as soon as you move your body weight one way, and you see he just makes a slight move because the ball's going in, in the other corner. Yeah it's very difficult to get back the other way. He can't start too wide as a starting position because if the ball does go through the legs of a defender, he's going to be well out of position. So, uh, you know, for me, the, it's just one of them things, the first goal. They were saying that, uh, I think Tom James was the one that was, that was saying he was a bit slow going. The thing was, you looked, they had a three-on-one there. 
if, if Tom James commits himself too early, yeah, he slips the other boy in on one on one. So I think it's as I say, it's just one of those things. The first goal, second goal was a poor goal as well. It was sort of a midfield mix up, wasn't it? And it, it, it didn't look good from our point of view. Bit of after you club, wasn't it? Like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that was a poor. But you know, this this is what happens. It's so important that you don't let teams like Wimbledon, you're going to get a lot of that this season, where you can't let them get on the front foot and get a goal in front. You know, the, the game changes on that. You know, that I'll bet their manager last night, is it Johnny Jackson, their manager? Yeah, I think Yeah. He, I bet he could, I bet when he looks back on that game, that couldn't have gone more perfectly for them, really. Yeah. It fell right into their lap. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Go on, go on Tony. No, I've always. Oh, sorry, I thought you were leaning. I thought he was leaning into the mic. I thought he was lining up the next item. No, sorry, I thought he was surprised there. I thought he was leaning into the mic to say something profound. All right, well, let's have some stats from last night then. So we got five bookings, uh, six in total if you include Richie Wellens. They got four bookings as well. Um, There were thirty-eight free kicks awarded in the game, which is a free kick every one hundred and fifty seconds. We thank Matt Roper for that stat, Um, and Glenn Wilkie said the ball was in play for 45 minutes in total um, the average for League 2 is 61 minutes so who is at fault when you get a game like that Gareth is it the referee is it us for committing the fouls is it them for throwing themselves on the floor how do we how do we stop that because ultimately having the ball in play for 45 minutes is not acceptable um, I think first of all you can't be massively critical of Wimbledon because they, they set out a way to play and that was to stop us from playing. And there are, and Richie said it in an interview, didn't he? There are two ways of playing, or well, there's more than two ways. You can be hard to beat, or you can go and beat a team. Essentially, that's what I think he was referring to. Um, so accepting that Wimbledon were always going to try that, should they get the noses in front and try and stop us from playing and try and hold on to get a decent result out of it. Um, I don't think you can place the fault at the opposition. Equally, we didn't deal with it very well. That It was struck me as being naive, and it's kind of what we've been saying around here. We didn't. We fell into it. We let them do dictate what we, how the game was going to go, etc. But equally, again, you can't say that without being critical of the referee. I think some of the decisions were just, you know, just let the game flow. I mean, there's been missives, of, hasn't there, about trying to let the game flow. It seemed pernickety, and it was even almost at the point of finding fouls to give rather than, you know, picking on that. So, as a supporter, you don't want to see the ball in play for just 45 minutes. And a lot of, there was a lot of throw-ins, wasn't there? And there's a lot of uh, time wasted at, at throw-ins, etc., etc. So, so it wasn't a great spectacle from that point of view. But you can't blame the opposition for not coming out to players and getting beat. You know, I mean, why would they? Why would they even contemplate that? But at the same time, you've got to try and manage the game better. So, an element of flow. Equally, I guess, and people, Terry would know. He's played. He's played the game at a high level. Is that ultimately? If the referee lets things go, does that discourage players from carrying on doing it? You know, if you're not going to get a decision all the time or if you fall to the floor and appeal for a decision and the referee just says, get, up, get on with it, does that maybe encourage more action, more, more ball in play time, I guess? Yeah. T- Terry, coming to you then with that one, I mean... <laughs> What is the answer here with regard, from a player's perspective, being on the pitch? You see, there's the old adage, win your battles. Uh, or if the, if, you, if it's going against your side, you put a tackle in and you win that tackle and that gets the crowd going. So but in a game like that, you almost can't do things like that because you know the referee's going to give a foul or the player's going to roll around five times and then the game gets stopped. 
how do you do you do you try and manage the referee in so much that you know do you talk to him do you just ignore him or do you talk to the other players because there seemed to be a lot of niggling and again I go back to Harry Pell and obviously Theo he was in Theo Archibald's ear the whole time nudging him like giving him little shelves and stuff like that and you know how do you manage it as a player I, th- I think listen where refs are concerned you you, you can get in a ref's ear and it they don't tend to listen too much, not really. With the referee, they've got to understand the situation that Wimbledon are going to keep going down. At any, they should recognise that. Yeah. They've got to recognise the pattern of a game and, and, and actually say, no, mate, get up, get up. But if, if he keeps giving it, as you say, there's, there's no deterrent. They're going to keep doing it, aren't they? And if he'd actually said a couple of times, get yourself up, I think you'd have found a much better game, a game with the balls in play a lot more. So... Yes, of course, we, we've said it for several times. We, we sort of were naive, but the referee can help you. He can help you in a game like that because he's got to recognise what Wimbledon were doing. Yeah. You know? and, and it seemed to me that he was just basically blowing up every time they fell to the floor. And it's very difficult. It's very, and as I say, we got players booked, I think, for a lot of frustration last night. Go back to what I say. We get the first goal. It's a different game. You can't let teams like Wimbledon, and we're going to get it a lot this season, you can't give them encouragement because that's what they'll do to you. Tony, just coming across to you for a second here, with regards to, obviously, Richie Wellens got booked last night as well. Now, what do we make of that? Because ultimately, Richie's got to try and calm the players down, but if he's the one on the sideline getting booked himself, what sort of message does that send to the team? And look, I'm not I'm not criticising Richie Wellens. The bottom line is his team at top of the league. You know we're we're playing really well. But do you think that's something that maybe obviously he's still a fairly young manager? Do you think that's something that he's got to learn that when his players are when it's a tetchy game like that, he's got to be the one to pull back and be relaxed to calm everyone else down. I think age-wise, he's still quite close to being a player. I mean, I believe I believe he came on as a sub just over there for Brentwood Town when they had the, um, <laughs> when they had the friendly over there a few weeks ago, which I'm sure he enjoyed. I just don't think that's in his nature, to be honest. I mean, it was it was a dreadful game in terms of being stop-start last night. To the extent, I mean, if it's got down to 45 minutes play in a game, I think the game's going to have to take a really good look at itself and wonder whether you've got to go to an in-play clock, which is used in other sports where... Yeah, you know, rugby's obviously it's eighty minutes, but you look at games like basketball where it's sixty minutes. Um, where you actually time when the ball's in play. Teams are still gonna try and break the game up, you know, if they're if they're under pressure. You know, players are still gonna go down, but going all the way to Wimbledon for forty five minutes isn't really doing much for the playing public, I don't think. And I think they might have to have a look at it. Yeah. Terry, how do you react? Obviously, obviously, again, as a player on the pitch, when your manager's the one who, obviously, there wasn't yellow cards in your day, but, like... When, there was. Well, no, but you're not for the managers. Not old. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Not for, not, for the, not for the managers, I mean. I apologise. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, how do you react in a situation like that again when, you know, it's the manager who's the one who's getting irate and getting booked as well? Like, does that help or hinder or does it not make a difference? I, I think as a player, you'd rather have a manager like that than someone like Kenny Jacket who done, you know... Ken, with his hands in his pockets. Yeah, and that doesn't... Ins- what does that inspire? You know, you're looking and going... You're looking... It's, yeah, OK, it, people say it's hypocritical for uh, Richie to dig players out when he's doing the same thing. I'd rather have a manager who's passionate and doing that 
because you know uh, that that to me is a bit more inspiring, as I say, than than what Kenny Jacket was doing last year. So I, I I think most players don't really have a problem with it. Yeah, I mean, I think Kenny spent most of the last season just uh, counting his banknotes. But there, uh, <laughs> anyway, right. <laughs> Let's. Uh, I've written here um, the subs didn't really have an impact upon the game, but maybe I'm being a bit unfair unfair on Jordan Brown there because actually he scored a great goal, and it should have been a goal. Um, I, I mean, again, you know, we go back to we go back to Saturday, and this, we've had the same thing. We've had we've had two disallowed goals, and, and both of them should have stood, in my opinion. Um, Gareth, I'm coming across to you. What did you make of it? I, I couldn't see. I could not see why it was ruled out. Uh, I've watched it on a replay over and over again. The only thing I can think is that there's a slight touch. I can't see well, the, the touch. The, the, referee, <laughs> the referee's saying that, sorry, the linesman has said that Paul Smith has jumped over the ball and therefore, and he Paul Smith was in an offside position and therefore the goalkeeper was unsighted because of Paul Smith. But given that it's gone through about 25 players first, right, before it's got, gone in the back of the net, I don't see how, yeah, 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 I know, the maths don't add up. I was, it was, it was hyperbole, right? Anyway, but the point I'm making is this, that, there's no way that that one player can make a difference to the goalkeeper. The ball was in the back of the net. Keeper hasn't even moved. Paul Smith doesn't make a difference. No, the, the pace the ball was going up is, it supports that argument as well. The, the, there is nothing that Paul Smith did, even if it, even if he touched it, if he jumped over it, that caused that goal to go in. Equally, I'm not 100% sure how the linesman yeah, ruled that as being interference, etc. Because it happened so quickly and... He just seemed, that's what Richie said in the interview, wasn't it? It seemed like he wanted to make a decision yeah. and get involved. And that's what it felt like. And actually, it's again another example of officials spoiling the game. Because if that goal goes in, as, as dreadful as the middle part of the game was, if you will, then all of a sudden it's a really exciting finish again, isn't it? You know? it, it it's then has the potential to be another Colchester game, isn't yeah. it? Where you know, we, we come back and draw two all and obviously... Well, thankfully we did, because otherwise Richie might not might not be here today. Obviously, that was one of the things he said in his interview. So, but um, um, t- Tony, coming across to you about the uh, the Jaden Wareham substitution. Obviously, he came in in the eighty seventh minute. Um, it seemed a bit pointless to me. It seemed like a, like a token. Just yeah, yeah, I could have five minutes. I mean, I want to see more of the kid. I mean. The main thing with that substitution when you were in the ground is there were so many things going on behind you at that time. It was almost irrelevant. I was having a quiet chat with a bloke in front of me telling him to sit down so I could come to watch the game. And, um, all, you know, things were kicking off that have been discussed on social media. And in a way, it was a distraction. It didn't really give him a chance to show his worth as a player. And he's come on in the Papa John's and played very well. But in a way, we've, got, we've either got too few people in that position or too many at the moment. So... There's decisions to be made, isn't there, in January, I think, of who we want to go with and who we decide has got to move on. Well, let's hear from Richie Wellens anyway, and uh, then we'll hear from Dave Victor with Victor's view. Want me to hold that? No, that's right. Richie, thanks for joining us. What did you make of that evening? Um, I thought we actually started pretty well the, last, the first four or five minutes. We got to the byline and we, and we got in our box. We, there was too many ricochets in their box today, balls bouncing around, and we never got on the end of it. Um, but then we can see two goals in a short period of time where we allow a, a right-footed left winger to come inside on his right foot, and then we don't track a midfield runner. So, um, yeah, I thought second half we was a better team. We're pushing, and obviously we get, we get the goal back, but linesman decides to, 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 to disallow it. But um, I think first half we, we didn't win any duels. You know, they was up. Listen, it's a big game for them, you know. Um, and it's a compliment to us that they think it's a big game and it's a big crowd here and the, and the crowd was at it fair play to them it was a good atmosphere for them 
You know, and there's two styles of football, our style and their style, which is different to our style. And for for the first half, we wanted to play like they played, which is which is stupid. We need to be better on the ball. Um, but second half, I thought we were better. Um, sometimes you have to go through these nights to get where we want to go, and we was never going to be, you know, losing one or two games this season. We have to go through. We have to lick our wounds and go against Saturday. Was there anything wrong with Jordan goes uh, Jordan Brown's goal? Um, linesmen want to get involved, like the linesmen wanted to get involved at crew um, and say that the Charlie kicked out of his hands when he didn't. The goalkeeper's got a clear line of sight for the for the strike, and that changed. Listen, we've got a massive chance of getting an equaliser if that goal if that if that stands. So. Um, I thought the officials again what, what do you say what do you say about these poor well there were plenty of yellow cards I think maybe one for yourself and certainly one for Tom James he can't play against yeah. Harrogate well we've, I've said all along we're going to have injuries we're going to have suspensions um, but it gives somebody else an opportunity to, to come in again yellow cards today it was just like the referee doesn't understand the game he's Davidson's quite handy he wants to lean in he wants to make nittle fouls but then what that does is we need to be a little bit more patient but the first one's a foul he doesn't give it so then our players react by doing something back to Davidson or Pell and them type of players um, and then we get, end up giving too many free kicks away but we, we lack discipline in the first half definitely I thought we was better second half Were there lessons to be learned as yeah, we look ahead to the next two games? I, I see it in, listen let's not get carried away I see an interview that Steve Evans done a week ago saying with this year's Forest Green nonsense Forest Green have been in a process for four or five years under Mark Cooper really good team getting the playoffs miss out on the playoffs getting the playoffs miss out and then Rob Edwards goes in and finishes a job off and gets a promotion we're at the first stage of our I'm excited I love this football club I'm excited about it I sign a new contract tomorrow um, because I love it and I want to stay here because I know where we can get to and we'll get there the fans will go home today disappointed um, but um, no, I, I love this football club and we'll get to where we want to but we have to take our time we can't overreact we're at a process and when we came in if we would have said now we're sitting on 26, 27 points and we're 7th for 8th they would have gone yeah we'll take it let's not get carried away for one defeat and again it's a compliment that teams want to play better against us I watched these against Crew, and I watched them against Harrogate <laughs> they played against Harrogate it wasn't like that it wasn't like that the atmosphere the tempo so credit to them they're up the game but we have to um, we have to be ready and, and be respectful of where we are in the league and be up for every game so the new contract's being signed tomorrow? If Mark Devlin's back off holiday, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, the, no, listen, so I'll, I'll, what it is, and I'm probably speaking out ahead, I should have waited, but you know, I want to give the fans a little bit of pick-me-up. So, um, you know, you, people are worried about this job's coming available. Uh, this, I'll stay and I'll, and I'll see this job through because I always get labelled that, that I leave. I, I, left, I left Swindon because of COVID and because of the situation that the club was in and look where the club went. It lost all its players. But all the other jobs I've been sacked from and not been given enough time. So I love I love Lane Gale, I love the owners here. So it's only right that I show my commitment and my love for this football club. And also we want players to sign new contracts. So if I follow the lead and and and, and show them where we want to go, then hopefully they'll they'll stay and, and, and sign an extension as well. Can I ask about George Moncur? He didn't start, was that because of an injury? Yeah, because we play him on Saturday against um against crew. And you can see 60 minutes, he hasn't trained and he's just blew up. So tonight we're thinking we might be able to get another, might be able to get another 60 minutes out of him. But you're thinking, well, rather than be leggy, let's, let's save him for the last half an hour and get a little bit of, he's got a free week now, we, we get training to him tomorrow and get a bit of fitness into him and, and hopefully be ready to start. He's had, a, he's had a tough, probably, 10 days of his tooth because it's been that painful that he's had his tooth out, but they left a little bit in. So he, I think he had to go and, and get that removed. So he's missed a lot of training, and because of that, he's felt a little bit leggy. And Theo, was he okay? Yeah, it was just that you worried about the referee. 
you're worried about the referee that he can just make a decision that nobody else on the pitch sees. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Cheers, Thank thanks you. very much. Good to hear that Richie Wellens has committed his future to the O's. He has transformed expectations at Brisbane Road. Results have been exceptional, which is probably why I've forgotten just how much longer the journey home feels after a defeat. At both Crewe and Wimbledon, it could have been so different. Had Orient taken their early chances on Saturday, the longer the Crewe's youngsters stayed in the game, the more their confidence grew. It was Lee Bell's first game in charge after Alex Morris had stepped down on the eve of the match and the new manager bounce worked again. Crewe securing their first... First win in 10. Referee Sam Perkis made two big calls. For what it's worth, I thought the keeper spilt the ball when Charlie Kelman scored. Craig Clay's red card looked harsh. The O's boss made six changes. Post-match, Wellens again took responsibility, stating it was probably too many. It's one of the oldest cliches in football, but I think it's true. An early cup exit provides an opportunity to focus on the league, and that's why the majority of bigger clubs now filled weaker sides, and why this once great competition has been devalued. But I still felt envious of those clubs who were in the draw for the second round. As expected for Tuesday night's London derby, we saw Happy, Smith, Prattley, Drynan and El Mazzuni all return. And it started so brightly, Satori and James going close. But Johnny Jackson had done his homework. The experienced figures of Gunter and Pels unsettled the O's, who at times lacked focus and composure. Once again, the big decision didn't go our way. I thought Jordan Brown had fired us back into the match, but the linesman saw something that the 1,200 travelling faithful couldn't. Of course, we remain top as we head to North Yorkshire to take on a Harrogate side who, having knocked Bradford City out of the cup, were denied their first win in four in the league when Carlisle snatched the late equaliser on Tuesday. Simon Weaver, the league's longest-serving manager, his team have won twice at home in the league against Hartlepool and against Swindon on the opening day of the campaign. Late night yet to sustain back-to-back league defeats under Richie Wellens, who were demanding another positive response this weekend. Thank you, Dave, Victor. Much appreciated. All right, so great news that obviously Richie wants to sign a new contract. I must admit, um, obviously you see the managers starting to lose their jobs in the higher divisions and stuff like that. Obviously Nathan Jones, we know from uh, Luton, is uh, going to talk to Southampton at the moment. Um, I was getting a bit worried that someone was going to come in for Richie. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really positive that he's signing a new deal. Uh, Gareth, what do you think? Yeah, great news. I mean... <laughs> It's probably early. I mean, it sounds almost contradictory that because you know it's it's the start of a process, and I think I think Richie said that in the interview, didn't he? It's it's the start of a process. He wants to see the process through. Um, it's incredibly positive that he's looking to commit his future longer term. I think that's brilliant. I think it was a concern. I think it was a concern for all of us that there might be a job higher up the league that he might fancy. But I think it was also about his own reputation, isn't it? He mentioned very clearly that he doesn't want to be seen as somebody that leaves clubs, you know. And and maybe that's a bit of a, a point. But equally, I think he's seen something quite exciting here um, and it looks like it looks like we're developing all the time I mean you think he's only really been here since March and we yeah, had the, yeah, the yeah. summer break we've, we've, how, we've not lost many many games in that time the performances have on that absolute whole been brilliant and very encouraging and I think he sees real potential and go forward I mean we talked about it we talked about it many times before is that this team's doing great but we all feel there's more to come, don't we? And I think Richie probably feels that as well. And it was very interesting, the point of view, that he also mentioned the players. He'd like to, he'd like him signing the contract encourages others to maybe stay. I think we're all thinking about Paul Smith, aren't we? I think that's, yeah, that's yeah, the worry we're all yeah. having. Um, but if Richie's staying, why wouldn't Paul? 
Well, fingers crossed. Right, we've got about two minutes left. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through what we would do is that with our teams on Saturday. Now, bear in mind, we're at Harrogate away. Clay is suspended. James is suspended. So you can't play over those. Uh, this is my starting 11. I'm going to go a bit uh, controversial here. I'm going to go for a 4-3-3. I'm going to go Hunt right back. Beckles and Happy centre half. Then I'm going to play Archibald at left back. And then I'm going to go Monker, Prattley and El Mazzuni with Drynan, Kelman and Smith up the top in a 4-3-3. I would have played Duke McKenna instead of Prattley, but I just think that Monker with El Mazzuni and Duke McKenna behind him, there's two youngsters there. Um, I just feel like it needs that bit of experience. And I'm going with Archibald at left back because Harrogate are near the bottom. And so therefore I feel like we can get at them um, and have an extra attacking player on the pitch. Uh, I'm coming over to you. Go on then. Uh, you must you confuse me. Those radical changes there. <laughs> um, no, I think I'd go Monker and Kelman in and rest, as the old footballing phrase goes, uh, Satirio and Drennan. None of that, I'll leave things. Okay. The same. Terry, coming over to you. Um, yeah, inclined to agree with Tony on that one. Um, not, not, not sure. I understand the method in your madness uh, there, Bill. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would. I'd plan a bit further up. Um, is Sweeney available at the weekend? Yes, he is, yeah. I, I put Sweeney in at left back um, and to say put Hunter at right back. Not changed too much. Not changed too much, you know. I, um, and to say for Soteria, leave him out, bring George Monker back in. Wouldn't change too much. Don't think it's too much wrong. Yeah. Uh, Gareth, you have the last set of show. Well, I'm just going to agree with these two. <laughs> exactly the same. Monker and Kelman in and Sweeney at left back. That would be my choice on it. So. <laughs> there we go. Oh, go on, Tony. Really quick. The two people who got me a ticket is um, Robert and Robert Prowse and James Reynolds both offered me a ticket for yesterday and I wouldn't have seen a game without them and I said to give them a mention. There we are, lads. Thank you. Oh, there you go. All right, there you go. You got your name read out on the radio. Lovely. All right, gents. Well, thank you for a good show. Uh, hopefully I got the, your names right for the, uh, for the rest of the show anyway. So, Gareth, thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure. Tony Smith, lovely to speak to you. Absolute pleasure. Terry, always a pleasure to see you, my friend. Always a pleasure to be here, mate. And uh, Andy, thank you for doing the buttons. As always, you did a sterling job, even though you called me the wrong name on the previous show. I won't hold it against you. And he's given me a thumbs up to say thanks. All right, everybody, have a safe journey home if you're out at the moment. Have a good rest of the week, and we'll see you all on Saturday. Take care. We're the only one of us And you know where when Saturday comes again We'll be trying to do our best To cheer our bows on who wear the rest Whatever challenge, whatever test We'll lay an Orion from E10 Lay an Orion from E10 This is our club and we are proud So sing it up and sing it loud We were formed in 1881 Clans in Orient and so begun The old story and on it runs We're late and Orient from E10 Whatever challenge has come our way The only faithful are here to stay we will live to fight another day We're late and Orient from E10 Late and Orient from E10 This is our club and we are proud 
Across Brentwood and Billericay. This is Phoenix FM. 